Welcome to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. It's time to make mental health a normal conversation with your host, Shane Kelton. Welcome back to episode two on the comeback trail for the podcast. I have the amazing Katrina with me today. How are you, Katrina? I'm good, thank you. Just staying warm, but really, really well and excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, two people excited in one, in one day. <laughs> I'm, I'm recording two today, so that's, um, that, day will be, that will be released on different days. So I've got you on like my last guest because we haven't, again, we haven't met each other before, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of weird, but at the same time, because it kind of feels like we have this connect, like a little bit of connection already yeah. anyway. Um, so you are going on Adventure All-Stars uh, with the team that has been assembled by Matt and Adventure All-Stars. So the first question I'm going to ask you is nothing to do with that. How are you going? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I'm good. I'm good. Um, just very busy at the moment, balancing life, work, um making sure that I look after myself as well. Um, I think that's a really important thing. Sometimes we can, whilst we're here in lockdown in Victoria, we can sort of let that slip sometimes, even though we feel like we've got all the time in the world. So I'm making sure that I am putting my own mental health as a priority at the moment and just, yeah, enjoying, enjoying every day what it has in store for me, really. That's brilliant. I love that you're looking after yourself first and foremost. I think that's a huge key takeaway right at the start of this, just for people to go, oh, because you sound very bubbly, you're laughing, you're smiling, people can't see you smiling, but they'll like you just you give this off in this infectious vibe. So, um, and I'm sure looking after your own mental health is probably a huge contributor to that. Mm, yeah, yeah, it does help. <laughs> it does, it definitely does. Um, so the first question I want to ask you today is why did you apply for this Adventure All-Stars trip with raising money? So if people didn't listen to the last podcast, you had to apply to be part of this show, which goes for six days um, and we go basically go on adventures as a group together. And But you have to raise $10,000 for the charity and the charity you raised money for was Mindful Oz. So why did you apply? What does it mean to you? Quite a few reasons why I applied, really. So um, I guess first and foremost, it's because I really believe in the work that Mindful Oz do. So I had already connected with Matt um, and, um, you know, looked at volunteering and working with Mindful Oz just in my in my free time to see how I could support. And when I saw this opportunity come up, I thought it was just an ideal way to a, I had just been made redundant. Well, I'd been made redundant a few months prior, um, and I was sort of doing a lot of voluntary work to fill my time. Um, and I also found that I was starting to fall back into old habits. I was feeling very, very anxious a lot of the time, very socially anxious. And I thought, what a great opportunity to a get the message out there of mindful arts, but also be push myself out my comfort zone, um, all whilst being able to you know raise money for a wonderful cause and do something that I love, which is you know volunteering. And, and, and 
charity work. So it was a really good combination of everything. Um, the other thing is that I mentioned, you know, I, I was starting to feel really anxious. So I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression uh, 10 years ago. And um, personally, I've had two suicide attempts and I've had, got friends as well who I've lost to suicide. I've got friends who um, have mental illness. And it's just something that's, you know, a big part of my life. And um I really wanted to show that just because you have mental illness doesn't mean that you can't do things and that you can't, you know, live your life and you can't enjoy your life at the same time. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like the culmination of reasons why I applied. Amazing. And I think that's why I think we're both of us, Jasmine and the rest of the crew are so excited because we've all kind of got a story, whether it's about ourselves or friends or family mm-hmm. that we're going to see probably, I actually, can't see us getting much sleep on the trip no. because I think we're going to be doing the filming side of things and then we're probably going to sit there and chat quite in quite a lot of depth about this kind of um, stuff and, and not only that but really get to know each other on a real personal level as well so that's what I'm you know really excited about and I do want to say thankfully your suicide attempts um didn't you know come to fruition so um i'm really glad that you are here and able to share that your story and we'll touch on some of the amazing volunteer work and um other stuff you've done throughout the podcast i'm sure so and the same thing with jasmine a little bit where do i go with the conversation today so i'm going to go talk about your diagnosis Mm -hmm. so you know, why we diagnosed, how we diagnosed, and people probably um, will have gathered by now you're not from Australia. This is this is in um, lovely England. Yeah. Um, that all this happened. You know, how did this all come about? What was it? Was it, you know, years in the in the making kind of thing, or was it, you know, an incident that happened? Um, so really it all started when my mum died. So my mum died when I was 15 years old and for the next few years, I pretty much just kept my grief and the way that I was feeling to myself. Um, and that was a catalyst for a lot of different behaviours that I engaged in, a lot of risk-taking behaviours, um, which ended up resulting in um, a suicide attempt. I, I really felt confused at the way that I was feeling I didn't understand grief I didn't know about grief which is why I, I do the work that I do now so I'm a grief and loss educator and that's why I do the work I do now because um not understanding that and a big misconception and all the misunderstandings that go with that kind of led to to me being diagnosed so I was diagnosed um with anxiety and depression um after my first suicide attempt um the years that followed that were very turbulent um I was really ashamed of of my diagnosis which I think sadly a lot of people feel as well when they're diagnosed with a certain um, mental illness because I thought that that defined me and that's all that I was I thought you know I had this label and I almost felt like I had to live up to that label um to, to validate it and to validate my feelings and my emotions so it was a really turbulent few years um and I tried lots of um therapy counseling um, I tried medication and I was just really trying to find a way to feel better not realizing that actually feeling better came from 
me um, and came from within, not from all the external stuff, although all that external stuff can help. And I do think it has its place that the core of it actually needed to come from me. Um, so yeah, it, it, it kind of just progressed as time went on and lots of other experiences. I was in an abusive relationship, which added to um, my anxiety and my depression and from there it just yeah it just tumbled out of control until there was like a catalyst moment for me and then that's when kind of the upward um momentum moment came yeah you again so many questions (laughs) um the i guess oh that's the question i want to ask um when you got that diagnosis, you talking about being ashamed and um, you thought you had to sort of live that part, um, you know, that label was who you are, you know, how did you work your way through that part of it? So stripping away the labels to, you know, you aren't anxiety or depression, you, you, you know, you, you were sort of living in that world and now, you know, you've sort of broken free of it. You know, how did you work your way through that? Um, so the moment for me was actually, because my anxiety and depression was kind of as a direct result of my grief, and it was this unresolved grief that I had for many, many years, the catalyst moment for me was actually um, when my sister, so my sister um, gave birth to her twins um, three and a half months early, and my nephew um, died at five days old. And in that same week, my one of my granddads was diagnosed with cancer, and the other granddad had a stroke and lost his inability lost his ability to speak. So it was a big week. Lots happened. Um, but at that point, I actually looked around me and I saw how everybody was responding and I saw that everybody you know we have a choice in how we react to a situation and I could see that my sister in spite of her pain in spite of her grief she also was so happy because she had you know my niece there and she had she had a baby there and it was this kind of like yin and yang of oh my gosh, I can have grief and I can have joy and I can have sadness and I can have happiness all in one. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, So seeing how everybody else responded around me and seeing that you could have both, that was the realisation for me that I, yes, I'm living with anxiety, I'm living with depression, but that's not all I am and I can be more than that if I want to be. I just have to make that choice and, and decide that, yes, actually, I'm going to allow myself to be happy when I feel happy. Oh, brilliant. I love it. I love it. Because <laughs> it, it's so true. It's like, like, and even now, I'm sure there's moments in your life where a bit of anxiety pops up or a bit of depression. We, mm. I don't want to talk about lockdown significantly, but we talked off air about how you probably you had one of those days where you just you sat in your own pity party. And that's essentially, that's, that's a form of depression, sadness mm. and, and anger. So, um it's really important that and I love that hopefully for listeners they get a lot out of that you know just because you you've been labeled these things um doesn't mean that's who you are it actually is the opposite it's just we all have those within us yeah um, and I think we we find it hard I know when I got 
I told I had depression, I basically put the label on myself and that was what I had to, I had to live up to that. Yeah. You know, it's whenever I was happy, I had to find a way to, to, to ruin that and to be my label again. Um, that's why I understand the labeling in terms of you need to tell someone what's going on. It's, it can be a blessing, but it can also be something that can strip a person away quite quickly. So I think it's, yeah. we, we need to be very careful when we throw those labels out because um, people, as, as we probably both did, we attach ourselves to them. Yeah, because I think we feel we have to prove something because people look at you, if, you've, if they know you've got a diagnosis or something's happened, they look at you and they think, well, you're smiling or you're happy or you're, happy or you're laughing. Surely that, you know, you can't be, have anxiety. You can't have depression because you know all these things. So then you feel like almost you have to prove yourself just to validate it. You don't have to do that, you know. Um, and, and I think that comes with a bit, you know, it comes with the whole misunderstanding and misconception about what mental health is and, and what it means to have a diagnosis. It's not one or the other, you know, it's, you don't look a certain, nobody looks a certain way. Um, it all impacts each individual differently. And we've got to remember that. Great. Love it. What, what is mental health to you? What, uh, I know it's a pretty bored question, but what is it to you? Mental health is, I think it's something that we all have. Um, you know, it's just that, some of us may have, and I don't even really like to use the words good and bad because I don't think there's any such thing as like good and bad. But I think some of us maybe we're struggling with our mental health at a certain point and some of us maybe um, we're not at a certain point. So I think it's like a sliding scale or something that we all um, need to take care of. It's I, I really do think that our own mental health and our mind is um, one of the core things that can you know, drivers in life and keep us going. If we haven't got a healthy mind, then often that impacts the rest of the rest of everything we're doing. It impacts our body, it impacts our um, physiology, it impacts everything. So mental health is really, really important. And yeah, as I say, it's something that we all have. We just have to be mindful of it. And it's it's something that needs to be spoken about more. I think we need to, um, and this is why I love the work that Mindful Oz do is because um, I think we need to learn how we can and take care of our mind from a young age rather than it being a reactive thing that when you're actually in that depth of sadness and depression and you're struggling and you don't want to be here anymore, that's when they're like, oh, this is how you take care of your mental health. And, you know, they only talk about it when it's reactive. We need to talk about it in a proactive way so that we don't have to reach that point. Oh, it's, it's like almost like I'm talking to Jasmine again. Like, <laughs> she, like she literally basically, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get the video snippet of hers and I'm going to get the video snippet of yours and put them together because they're basically the same thing. And I think it's, it probably shows the work that Matt and the team at Mindful Oz are doing because I, I got the same feeling with them as well. So there's three people that are all getting this. So if, if that's the target, what they're targeting, then they're like literally smashed their marketing perfectly. So, um, and I've actually made a note of, of what, where this was in the podcast. So I can come back to it and get that, <laughs> even if I just share it with Matt. So back, back to you. Um, through that, it was around, I worked there, it was around five or six years in between, when you were diagnosed and when your sister had kids, um, 
what did that, without going into too much detail with triggering people, what, what did it look like for you? Because yeah, from, from my experience, it's a bit of a roller coaster and um, it probably why, why I want you to explain this is because there's probably a lot of people out there displaying a lot of these symptoms and then what we can talk about later is how we can help those people um, that are in that madness of of depression and anxiety, I guess. Yeah. So externally, it actually looked like I was the happiest person in the world. Um, I was like the life and soul of every party. I'd be out all the time. I'd, you know, be... Any, any event that was happening, I would be there and I would be there with bells on and I would just be having the time of my life or so it would look like. But actually on the inside and internally, I was um, trying to mask um, what I was feeling. I was engaging in a lot of risky behaviours, as I said before, um, alcohol, a lot of drinking. Um, I was engaging in... Um, self-harm I as I say I was in an abusive relationship um for three years um and it, it pretty much looked like yeah externally it looked like I was fine um at least to those that maybe didn't know me so well to my closest friends and family they could see um that something wasn't right um I wasn't eating eating properly, I stores with those that I really trusted um, or when, you know, maybe I drank too much that I just couldn't actually control it or control myself anymore. So, um, yeah, it was very sporadic, very turbulent, very up and down. Um, I did push a lot of people away because... I was worried that they were starting to see through the like facade. So at the moment I felt that I would push them away. Um, and it was just, it, it almost, I didn't know who I was. Yeah. I was just trying to find myself. And I think, you know, those closest to me could see that they could see I was lost but to anybody else. I just looked like I was happy and, you know, had the best life. What? I just noticed the dog came in in the background yeah. and I, I thought, I was like, oh, the, the dog's walking into my room here, but the, dog, the dog's not. Because my dog was barking in the other room, so I was like, this is tripping me out. Um, so what, I guess, looking back now, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but it's, it's advice for people at the moment who are going through this. What advice would you give for the friends and family uh, that might be seeing the signs in you, but also the advice to the person listening that might be doing what you're doing because, in in essence, you're probably confused to a degree through those period, those years, um, because there's grief and there's a lot of emotion attributed to that. Um, there's also probably the, the feeling of being trapped in that relationship. So there's a lot going on. But if you could give that person advice, um, and the friends and family, what would that be? Friends and family, I would say um, be open, be like allow 
the person to express how they're feeling. Like don't shy away from it because they might be feeling some really dark things. They might be feeling some stuff that, you know, you don't want to hear because anybody that you love, you want to, you know, you don't want them to be sad, but you need to allow them to at least express it in a safe place um, to not try and fix them. That's really important. They're not broken. Um, they don't need fixing. They just need somebody who's willing to listen and willing to be there no matter what. Don't say you're going to be there and then next minute vanish because, you know, you think it's too much. Like, I think it's really important that if you say you're going to do something that there's that stability there um, for someone. Whilst also obviously keeping up your boundaries to make sure that you're, you know, safe and okay too. Um I think for the person that is experiencing it, it's important to know that um, the way that you're feeling isn't abnormal because I think that that can actually fuel a lot of it. You think in your mind that the way that you're feeling, the thoughts that you're having are so unusual and nobody else is having them and that can kind of fuel what you're doing. Um, But actually knowing and hearing from others that you're not the only one. I think everybody has at some point these thoughts in their head. They just don't talk about it. Um, So to know first and foremost that you're not alone. Second of all, if you do engage in, you know, like therapy or counseling, don't be disheartened if the first person you go to doesn't help or even if the second, third or 10th person you go to doesn't help. I had multiple different counselors and therapists before I found the person that I felt comfortable with. And I think sometimes um, we see one person, it's not a fit and then we just give it up. Um, so don't, don't be disheartened and, you know, you will find somebody that you can talk to. And if that's not like a professional, you will find somebody in your life that you can speak to and that you can open up to and trust. Um, and thirdly is as long as it's safe to do so, allow yourself to feel the emotions that you need to feel. We can often try and push away the emotions that we think are like negative and bad. And that's why I don't like the words good and bad. Mm. Um, we can try and push them away because we feel like we shouldn't, we shouldn't feel them and we should be happy all the time. And there's all this toxic positivity going around at the moment and we should try and squash them. Don't squash them. Allow yourself to feel them and move through them. Ask yourself why you might be feeling that way. Um, and then you can move through them, um, better as well. So yeah, feel, allow yourself to feel your emotions in a safe space. Yeah, it's Lala, and I love all of them, but that last one especially because I think the generations previous to us, and this is a big thing mindfulizers are obviously doing, is that proactive approach is mm-hmm. teaching people about these emotions because I think what we find is probably to a lot of our generation is people feel these things and they don't know what it is. Yeah. They're like, what the, what the fuck? I've never felt this before. And that's okay, but if you've got no idea, if, you, if it then scares you, you'll just go, I'm just going to pretend it's not there and essentially it will come back. Yeah, definitely, it will. <laughs> so you can't, you can't, it's like keep, just keep putting things in a bottle and just, you just, hey, it's going to break, it's going to explode at some point, you can't just keep filling it up. So, and the other one, I like the um, don't give up after seeing one specialist, you know, keep, keep going. Like we talk, my, someone I used to, I still do a bit of work for at MindFit. They talk about 
if you if your pizza shop changed owners and you didn't like the pizza there anymore because they changed it, you wouldn't just give up eating pizza. You'd go to the next pizza shop, and yeah. if that wasn't the one, you go and you'd find the next pizza shop that you like. You wouldn't give up pizza. So you know, don't give up on your own mental health. It's, it's you're not going to get along with everyone. You're not going to have the same values and beliefs. And each therapist specialty is going to specialize slightly different because they're going to even. If you have 20 people learn the same course, they're going to teach it differently because of their experience. Yeah. So you've got to be open to the fact that, like oh, I know some of my therapists, I've got so much out of them, but there'll be 5% of it or 10% of it that I'll go, I actually don't agree with that, so I'm going to ignore that. Yeah. But, but I'm going to take the rest of it into my life. Um, and that's great because it's still effective. Um, yeah. Exactly. And, and, you know, it's, it's the same for everything. I think a lot of people these days, you know, social media and influencers, they share all of the self-help tips and everything that you can do, but don't think that just because it works for them, it's going to work for you. Take the bits that do work for you and implement them in your life. If it's something you've never tried before, try it. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. If it does, that's great. You know, you've got to find the ways that work for you and not just look at somebody else and think, oh, they think that. You know, even like, I think sometimes um, um, Matt Runnels, he shares things on social media and, you know, founder of Mindful Oz, he shares all of these wonderful things. Some of the stuff he shares do not work for me. Yeah. They just don't work for me. But, you know, you know, other people might look and think, you know, this, he runs this incredible charity he does this amazing work I have to do what he does too you don't I'm never going to get in an ice cold bath or an ice cold shower I'm sorry it just isn't a thing for me whereas for Matt I know it works for him so it's just finding the balance and and trying being open to trying things and um yeah learning the things that can help you and just because it helped once in the future in the past doesn't mean it's always going to help in the future as well you can change I love it. And I think there's an added element to trying these things is if you do try the ice bath and then you look back and you go, geez, I can't believe I did that. And you can have a laugh and it brings this vibrancy to this, I guess, I don't like good, bad, negative, positive either, but this unpleasant experience that you felt in that moment because it just wasn't for you. And you can look back and laugh and go, I cannot believe I actually tried that. Um, but it, what it will do, I've always, I always said this, the more things that try, you try and you cut, you cut, the closer you are to finding the thing that's going to work. Yeah. So if you just sit in your bed, and I'm sure we've all done it for days on end or, or whatever, especially when you're experiencing these suicidal thoughts, if you're not trying, you don't know what doesn't work. So you may as well try. And as you said, things that worked for years may just stop working at some point for you because you get older, life changes, balance changes, you know. Um, obviously, I've just got a newborn, so that changes things as well. I can't just I can't just leave the house and go to the gym when I'm feeling stressed because you can't just leave a newborn behind. So you, you've got to adapt. And I, I find I worked to the PT for a while. I find a lot of people, and I did this as well, they rely on physical training for so long and then as you get older, your body naturally deteriorates and you get injuries and all of a sudden you go from six days a week exercise to you have to do two very light days. People start to really struggle. So it's really important that you have a balance of these things and not just one thing you solely focus on. Um, yeah. And I think once you start to do that and you have those foundations and stuff, it's like oh, I really feel like a run but – 
I can't run anymore because I've got an injury. Okay, so what can you do? Like, and you just, you have different avenues, so. Yeah, definitely. Um, you, you spoke about a catalyst for change for you um, was seeing the grief around you, I guess, and the way, no, not the grief, the way people were handling grief around you, essentially. Where, what did you, did you then, was that when you started seeing therapists or was it prior to that? Um, I'm, I'm assuming that you probably did it when, did when your mum passed away, but you probably just, I'm going to assume again based off my experience, but you didn't really do anything that they told you to do because you probably just didn't give a shit. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty accurate. So yeah, I I saw a th- I saw um a therapist when I yeah just not long after my mum died um but I was pretty much forced to go to that. That was something that my dad you know um kind of made me go to when I went to make him happy. Yeah. Um, and I actually didn't really talk to her about anything. We would talk about like me going to parties and things. And I think actually that in itself, although I didn't recognize it at the time was therapy because it was having that, it was just having a normal conversation. And that's what I needed at that point in time because everything else in my life was not normal or yeah. what I perceived as normal. So um, yeah, I, I didn't really do much with her. I did see a couple of other therapists, um, you know, at college, I saw a counsellor. When I started uni, I tried to see a counsellor and I just did not connect with them at all. I came away feeling worse in most circumstances, which is a shame. Um, and I felt, yeah, I felt really, really disheartened. And then if after um, everything with my sister, I said to my dad, look, I I really want to find somebody good. And I was very fortunate that through his work, I was able to access um, some private um, counselling because the NHS in England, there was a very, very long wait time. So I was very fortunate to have that. And I found a person who, you know, he, he was wonderful and I felt very safe going to him. I felt like I was able to open up and, you know, I continued going to him for um, a good few years on and off. I, it wasn't sustained. And if I, I just would go, if I felt like I needed to, I could call him if I needed to. Um, and yeah, it was, it was wonderful, but it did take a long time. It took a really long, and part of that was due to the fact that I wasn't ready to open up. So those ones that I had seen prior to that, I just wasn't ready to open up. I didn't want to share or answer the questions they asked me, um, because partly because of shame and partly because I just, I just thought like, why should I tell you? You know, why should I tell you? You're not going to get it. Nobody else has. So um, I'm just going to stay quiet. Whereas at this point in time, I then actually was open to it. Nobody was forcing me to go. It was my choice. And I think that helped a lot. Oh, love, love it. Oh, just you and Jasmine are blowing my mind today. Uh, <laughs> it's just fantastic. And just get excited me for the adventure we're going to go on and the conversations we're going to have because I think we're all so much alike in so many ways but from so many different backgrounds. So mm-hmm. what else was, I guess, what else did you do? No, sorry, before we go on to that, I, I want to touch on the, the point you made and it's a really good point because I have helped a lot, tried to help a lot of people go into therapy and say, look, I can't do much more. You need to sort of go and they're like, oh, but 
it doesn't help me. And I'm like, well, have you told them everything you told me? And they're like, no, I haven't. And I'm like, well, how can the therapist help you when you're not even giving them the details? Like yeah. they're giving their information based off what you're telling them. So they're only any part of a picture. Like it's, it's like me giving you a blindfold and saying, going and get all this stuff from my, yeah. from a room. Like, so it's a really good point that you need to be prepared to be very vulnerable. Mm. Um, and which is extremely difficult, extremely yeah. difficult. And I, I will say if anyone's listening, it's not easy and I'm not saying it's ever easy. Um, even us having this conversation, opening up about our stuff, that once upon, upon a time was extremely difficult as you sort of touched on, but it does become easier and you, because you find this strength within it, within it because it helps other people but it also helps ourselves. So... Mm. What else did you do outside of therapy that really, I guess, catapulted your healing and recovery um, moving forward? Um, I put up some really good boundaries. So um, I left the relationship that I was in, which I think, you know, was a huge, huge step for me um, because that in many ways was just adding to, to the pain that I was feeling. It was, it, it was pulling me backwards every time I felt I was making progress. It just pulled me back. So, um, I put that boundary in place and I left and I made the decision that I was only going to engage with people who made me feel good. And, you know, I had so many people around me telling me that, you know, friends that I'd had since nursery and family telling me what I was capable of, telling me um, the qualities that I had and I couldn't see it myself. And I thought I'm only going to surround myself with people who can also, who can see that until I'm able to see it myself. Um, and now that I can see it myself, you know, I keep those boundaries there because I think it's really important that you don't let other people dictate to you how you should feel and how you need to live and um whether your feelings are valid or not if you feel them they're valid and that's as simple as that um you don't need to provide any explanation for it um so boundaries were a really really big thing in the last few like more recent years like last two three years um I've done a lot of reading um, the work that I do anyway requires me to like hear people's stories and I think yeah. storytelling is so powerful I am such a big advocate for storytelling I think it it just <clears throat> opens up that sense of community connection compassion and in return you can have compassion for yourself then when you can hear other people's stories you don't have to have the exact same experiences they can be completely different um, but sometimes you can just find something to take away from that and you realize that you're not alone and that that's been a really big thing um for me the last few years is yeah, having that storytelling component, sharing my story and allowing other people to share theirs with me too. Brilliant. <laughs> I want to touch on, but only if you're okay with the boundaries with um, the abusive partner, um, because, it, I mean, lockdown's proven it, but there's definitely a lot of cases out there that we probably aren't aware of. Um, probably, probably there might even be some close to home. We, we don't know because a lot of people keep quite silent about it. I think it's very brave when someone walks away from something like that. I think it's extremely brave because it, it's, it's scary. It's mm. a hard decision. It's a fear of losing what you think you love. 
yeah. or what you think you deserve. Um, how did you, how did you do it? Broad, broad question, I probably know, but <laughs> I think you get it when I ask the question, and your your mind will go where it needs to go. How did I do it? I did it. It was the support of others, you know, that really helped me through that. None of them actually knew what was happening. And it's actually only been this year that I've told people um, what was happening. And this, my, it was my, a big part was my sister. Her strength through everything that she experienced allowed me to see that I had the strength in me too. Mm-hmm. And I wish that I had, you know, some other thing to offer people to say how you can do it but I've got friends who sadly have um are currently in in that situation or they have been and I'm not sure if there ever is like a a, something that happens to make you leave I think I think you've got to take that moment in those like few seconds you've got to take that moment and then when you take that moment you think oh my god like I can do it. And, and, you know, I've got to say there were moments in there where I wanted to go back. There were moments mm. in there where I tried to go back. And I'm very fortunate that by this point, you know, he, he had also decided <laughs> that we weren't going to go back. And, um, you know, I'm great. I'm very grateful for that. But, you know, I could have very easily gone back there. And I had this book, having the support of my family and my friends and having a really strong network around me really, really, really helped. Fantastic answer, and I I do have a couple of people that over the years I've spoken to about that male and female who have been in that situation, and um, I hope if they are listening that they understand that there is people out there that will happily listen and support them if they make those decisions. But ultimately, it is their decision, um, and they can't. You can't really ask other people what to do. It's essentially has to be up to you. So kudos to you for making that decision. And I know you did go back and that's completely natural because you, you know, you go through, I think this is what I deserve and I do love them. And it's, yeah. you know, it's, but it's essentially coming out of fear of not finding someone else. Mm, yeah. And, you know, by that point I didn't know who I was and I thought that everything that he had told me I was, this was true. And I thought the only thing that really made me worthy was being with him. And it was, it was really scary because I had to find myself again. I had to figure out who I was. And, you know, I also think it's important to note here that several, for, for a few years afterwards, I was going and engaging in, you know, relationships or just dating people who I knew had the same qualities, who I knew we're not going to be good for me in the long run. And I think that's because you naturally gravitate towards what you know, even if, you know, consciously you think you're not, subconsciously you are. And um, it took a lot for me to break break that cycle. And I actually remember the moment that I did, I was, I was living with my best friend at the time and um, I was a serial data because I was just trying to find validation from anybody and everyone. And... Um, I had been on a couple of dates with my now partner and after two dates, I decided like, no, um, called it off, didn't want to, you know, carry on. And, um, a few weeks had passed and, you know, we still saw each other on social media and things and that, like kind of, you know, liked things and whatever. And I said to my best friend, I said, I don't know why I ended it. Like, I think what it was for me, I had this realization, like, 
I thought he wasn't interested in me. I thought that we just didn't click. But actually, what it was is that he was actually just a nice guy. And <laughs> like, you didn't know what just, to do. Yeah, I didn't know what to do. I was so like it was so unusual to me to have engaged with somebody who was actually nice and respectful. And um that was the moment that like clicked in my head. It was actually that night that I messaged him again. And then the rest is history, as I say. Yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, I could have very easily shied away from that and been scared of that. And it's very common. I, I had, and I'm not saying this to say that anyone that keeps being abused is um, choosing to be abused because they're not. But we fall, as humans, we fall into ha- habits and, and patterns and we get att- attached or attracted to what we've been accustomed to because that's our safe place. And it's weird because if you're being abused, that's not safe, but essentially we, we, that it's, we don't know what the other option is because it's crazy, but love and a happy relationship is actually quite scary because you don't, yeah. So it's like, you don't, especially if you've never had it, you don't know. And it's, yeah, because it's, it's funny because you've got all these emotions with anxiety and depression and all this, but then there's happiness and love and people don't know what to do with that either. No, no, no. It's like, why am I crying at my own wedding? Like this doesn't make <laughs> sense. Um, so I only cried twice at my wedding. So I'm tough. I'm tough. No. Um, so your, yeah, I, I want to talk about this. And I know listeners might want to hear this, but, um, you, you did a huge thing. You moved from UK to Australia with just your partner and you basically knew no one. Mm-hmm. No, for someone who's, who's battled anxiety and depression, that's an extremely tough, brave, again, brave step to take. Yeah. I mean, I, a big part of us moving here was he got a really good opportunity and he got an opportunity that he almost didn't go for. And I, you know, really encouraged him to do it because I could see that he was capable. And that was a big part of it. It was like seeing him thrive and seeing him do what he wanted to do. But I also had reached a point where I felt like I was trapped in a box that everybody else had put me in yeah. and that I was stuck in this zone. And I had, I've always had these dreams of traveling and adventuring and it's, but it's never something that I ever did. I did go to Fiji for a month on my own, just like a year before I met Will. Um, as my abusive relationship came to an end. So, and that, that, that showed me that I could do it. I was, petrified absolutely petrified I rang my dad every single day I was in Fiji the phone bill was ridiculous and I I didn't really actually like enjoy myself when I was there because I was just so anxious but it showed me that I could do it and um, that I wanted to do that more so I knew that if we came here a, I wasn't on my own. I had him with me. And B, if I needed to come home, I could come home. And that doesn't mean that I failed. It just means that I've tried something and it didn't work for me and that's okay. And, you know, two years later, we're still here. Um, don't know when we're going to get home, but we're absolutely loving it. And we're planning on staying here for as long as we do enjoy it. So it was, it's been the best thing. It's, you know, my biggest growth has happened in this last two years. Well, you so all of what you just said is basically discomfort precedes success. Going to Fiji was so uncomfortable for you, but in essence, you succeeded because it showed you that 
you could do something. And then moving to Australia again is so it's such an uncomfortable thing. Like I moving to another country with just one person, like because like, let's let's be honest. As much as we love and have happy relationships, there is some testing times, and if you don't know anyone, it can really ramp up and really test the best relationship in the world. So you've essentially just stepped out of your comfort zone completely and just <laughs> gone. But but also with with the knowledge that I can't, I still I can't fail or I can't screw up. Like that that's that's just not any of the options if I go back it's not failing it's not screwing up like I can go back and that takes a lot of the pressure off as well because a lot of people will do these things and go oh but if I go back people are going to look at me and laugh at me and it's like in the end so what if they do but like at least you've given it a go well exactly and and you know um you know I'll be honest and say it hasn't been the easiest two years being this far away I was not working for about a year of that because of redundancy and um being stuck in the house with just one person it's, it's a lot it is a lot and you're just waiting actually for everybody back home to wake up before you call them <laughs> so it's, yeah it is it is it is a hard time but it's it's been absolutely incredible and we've learned so much about ourselves and each other um and I think I really I just don't believe in failure I think if you've tried something you've tried it and there isn't any such thing as failure because you're going to learn you're always going to learn something from it whether you learn it in that you know first few minutes when it doesn't work out or whether you learn it and realize it in hindsight five ten years later you're always going to learn something from it. you're going to learn whether you like it or you don't so you know I think there's no such thing as failure and um the other thing is, is I could just be who I, who I am here. I had this complete blank slate when I came here, when nobody knew anything about who I was, what I've been through, what I've experienced. I didn't have that pressure on myself of like these labels and, you know, being the girl whose mom died, who then has anxiety. You know, I didn't have any of those things here because nobody knew. And I was able to just be myself mm. and it's been so refreshing and so many people say to me like Katrina I'd never be able to do that but you don't know what you're capable of until you you, you try and until you have to do it you know it's, it's the same with grief I don't think I could ever ever you know get you know live if if my mom died like you don't have it if you're put in that situation you have to either mm. keep stepping forward or stop and you've only got those two choices really so you just do it and you'd be surprised at what you can do as a person and what the human body and the human mind is capable of when you've when you just do it <laughs> yes oh, exactly right i think it's one of those things where you just put one foot in front of the other and all of a sudden you're at the top of the mountain and you don't even <laughs> you don't even realize it so um huge it's huge by you to be able to to do that you you mentioned before earlier on um so we'll touch on this you now work doing grief and loss education mm-hmm. um you had a podcast which i think the last one released was in may yeah um which is called grow with grief um tell me a little bit about first off we'll, we'll what is the work that you do entail? How did you get there? Um, and how can people work with you if that's possible? 
Yeah. So um, how it got there really was um, this time last year when I when I lost my job and I already spoke and was very open with my own network and friends about grief. And um, it's something that I spoke about really openly. And um, I just started to talk about it. You know, I had I had friends who then, you know, put other friends of theirs in contact with me to speak. And I kind of just grew from there. And I started to think, oh, do you know what? I can actually, and I do feel comfortable sharing this more openly. I had a lot of time on my hands and I wanted to make a difference with that time that I had. I'm a very... Um, like philanthropic person, I, I, any spare moment I have, I'm volunteering or raising money or whatever it is. So I wanted to do something to help others. And so I decided to start the podcast. Um, when I started that podcast, it had such a good response that I, um, then just started sharing my story more and people were asking me to share my story and people were asking me questions and, um, and sort of coming to me and it just went from there. And then it was only this, this year that I decided to, after about a year and a half of providing workshops and keynotes and stuff for free, that I decided to um, actually build a business out of this because ultimately I want to start a not-for-profit and, you know, you need money to do that. So um, why not? Why not? Um, and, you know, my story and my experiences and what I share that has value um, and I'm happy charging people for that value because it is it is a lot and it does help people and I know it does so um now I actually provide workshops for corporate and um, businesses so um I do workshops on creating grief-friendly workplaces how managers and leadership teams can support their employees through grief something that we've all experienced this year grief is not just about death it's um, a lot of different things it's any form of loss that we experience um, and therefore pretty much everybody in the workplace will have experienced grief at some point. And if they have not yet, then they will. Um, and it's important that we can provide that support. So, um, that's what I do at the moment. I provide workshops and training. Um, I also talk with them about how they can maybe, um, switch up their policies slightly. A lot of bereavement policies and grief policies are quite outdated. Um, and you know, we need to be able to support each other in, in that sense. It's, it's, there's a you know a lot of workplaces say you've got to leave your personal life at the, at the front door it's not how it works unfortunately things that happen in our life impact us um, on a whole body experience and that means that it will impact the work that we do too um and we should have support through that so um if we can support you know adults in workplaces then they might be able to filter that down to their children which then again only has, um, you know, yeah. really, really positive repercussions. So that's what I do at the moment. Um, and I absolutely love it. The, the podcast, um, I've put to one side for a bit just because it takes a lot of time to do a podcast <laughs> and I don't have it. And I want to honor the people's stories that I was sharing. And I didn't feel like I was able to do that anymore. So, um, but there's loads of other wonderful podcasts out there on, on grief and loss that people can access to. So, and um, my not being there isn't so bad. Well, it's not bad, but it's also not good. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of those things. I, I, I love what you do with businesses. And so where I was working, we were looking and heading down that path with the mental health side of things. And um, so I did a bit of research on mental health in the workplace. And mm. it, it's the studies around the world now on it in different countries, especially about a mentally healthy work, workplace is, mm -hmm. you know, 
if you're one of your staff has got the ability to turn around and say, look, I'm really struggling with anxiety today. I just need one day off. You know, they're going to repay that back in, in oh, yeah. so much, so much time and effort and, you know, where if they come in and they're ready to work rather than come in and fighting that anxiety for weeks and weeks and weeks on end, you know, the fact is if you're living like that in fight or flight for so long, you will not get the same amount of work done. So, um, you know, I know there's studies around the world where they're going to four-day work weeks or five, six-hour days because people get more done if they know there's like something at the end of it or they go into work feeling mentally sound. So, uh, it's a fantastic thing you're doing. And I think businesses, if anyone's listening, like get in touch with you or someone in this space because um, I'm going to put this bluntly, it will actually get you more money in the end, um, which is essentially what businesses want. And that flow on effect, it means the staff get more bonuses and then that money gets pumped into the community and all that kind of stuff, uh, which is None of what's happening at the moment with lockdowns, et cetera, to a degree, but that's essentially what happens. Yeah, and, you know, there's so much out there these days for, you know, lunch and learns about eating healthy and having a positive mindset, and there's so much out there for mental health as well, which is great, but grief is never, ever on that list, and it's ridiculous because we are all going to die at some point. Mm-hmm. like that is pretty much one of the only certain things in life is that we're all going to die we're all going to know somebody who dies so why do we not talk about it why do we not provide the support for people who are experiencing grief from that um you know as you were saying it does impact productivity it, it impacts staff loyalty if you can have a positive workplace culture then that's only going to pay dividends in the future that is the thing that one people were you know if somebody gets a promotion, if it's somebody's birthday, we are very quick to be in there like, let's go for lunch and celebrate. If somebody is experiencing grief or mental ill health, it goes quiet. Why? We should be providing the same amount of support. That is when people remember you and, you know, your staff and your culture is going to benefit if you support them through the hard times, not just the good times. And it's so sad because there's so many stories of people going back to work when they're experiencing grief and the comments that are made and the insensitivity and the misunderstanding and the lack of support, they end up leaving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it shouldn't be that way because we're all going to experience it at some point. This in, you know the education I share, the information I share. It's not just relevant to work either. It can be put in, It can be implemented into your everyday life. Same with mental well-being workshops that they do at work. It can be implemented in every into your everyday life. Yeah. Um, so it is really, really important. And I'm. You can probably tell I, I get pretty fired up about it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I love it. And you kind of went exactly where I was going to go to. People end up leaving the workplace, and then the employee employer has to then get someone else and train them up which is actually costing them more money so it's it's one of those things like people look at the short term it's it's taking the easy path versus the hard path that's what we talk about a lot where i'm doing work is they're choosing to just sweep whatever is under the carpet because it's too uncomfortable and essentially they're just creating a, a more difficult situation where they have to fork out more money and more time which is everything they don't want to do in the long term so yeah productivity and then longevity you know two huge things for businesses and if you've got the same staff 10 staff at 
the say it's a small business of 10 staff. Um, if they're there for 20 years, imagine how productive it's going to be after a few years when they're all in sync. And, you know, if one person does go through something traumatic, they're going to be like, you take a month off, we've got this, we've got the systems. When you come back in, you'll slip in and it'll just be like this um, machine that's just working together. And, yeah, yeah that that's essentially, I think that's what everyone actually wants so they don't know how to get it. Yeah. So. Because they're scared, they're scared to talk about it, and it's it's sad. It's sad that that it's almost now become um, like a trend to show that you are providing some sort of support for your employees, and that should just be the standard. Like it shouldn't even be something that you have to announce um, on LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever it is. Like it should just be a standard. There's a lot at the moment about bereavement leave for um, parents who have. Um, lost during pregnancy and I'm like why is this just a thing now why are you bragging about it you should actually be like you shouldn't be bragging about the fact that you're only just doing it now this should have been a standard it should have been a thing that was in place already it's a great step in the right direction but I also don't think it's something to brag about because it just shows that you weren't up to times um so yeah, we need to talk about it. And it, then not only does it benefit your business, it benefits the economy on a whole. Um, there's so many ways that it benefits everybody's well-being. Um, you know, you don't want people going to work and feeling unsupported there. And then when they come home feeling unsupported or lost or down, it's just, it's not sustainable for anybody. Um, so yeah, providing that support is, is, is really important. And it's about being proactive. Don't just wait until the situation happens. Don't just wait for somebody to voice that they need support have that support in place that they don't need to voice it so that they can just go and get it right away love it love it i don't have any more questions but is there anything you would like to add i do have like one or two but to that's just like to end the podcast but do you have anything else you would like to add Not really. Um, I think we've covered quite a lot and I think this is something that we probably talk about for hours and hours. So very mindful of people listening, um, you know, probably not wanting to listen to me blab on for far too long. So I'll, I'll let you ask your final questions. Well, I will say if people do have questions, they can contact me or you. I'll share all the links and stuff like that. Um, I guess I, I do want to touch on the adventure we're about to go on. What, what are you most looking forward to? Um, is there anything you are anxious or scared about? Um, you know, stepping outside your comfort zone. And I'm hoping the producers don't listen too much to my podcast. Um, I don't think they will. But um, I've already thrown myself under the bus and said I don't like heights. So if um, if they want some good TV, they'll throw me up skydiving and bungee jumping on the first day. So what what is, what is it you're not wanting to do? Not wanting to do, I would probably say it's something that I don't want to do, but I do want to do is like a bungee jump. Like I'm petrified of heights, but I really want to do it <laughs> as well. So um, that's probably one thing. And anything with like spiders, I, which is ridiculous because we're in Australia and I just need to get used to it. But spiders coming near me or being put in a situation where a spider might come near me, no, don't, I will not do it. I will just, no. <laughs> that's going to be great TV because you're going to do it we're going to do it oh no yeah we're going to still we're all going to support each other and we're going to do whatever's thrown at us yeah 
Yeah, we will. We will. Break, break through those comfort zones. And I'm sure there's going to be tears, especially if there's spiders. I, the women we went to Thailand, maybe, or Vietnam, we went through, um, or Cambodia, one of those. We went through like a jungle tour, and they, they, they like, they just, their eyes are just amazing. They drove like 20 metres past it and they're like, oh, I think there's like spider on that tree. So they reversed all, when we didn't know, we were just like, what are they doing? Why are they reversing back? When you get back. And then they looked in and the guy grabbed it. It was like this huge spider on oh. the tree. And everyone like jumped and I was like, he's like, does anyone want to hold it? I'm like, oh, I went up and yeah, just like crawls, crawling around my arm. And everyone's like, get the fuck away from me. <laughs> I didn't even know these people and they were abusing me. I was just like, oh, it was just, uh, and that, like I trusted, I had to trust the guides that it wasn't dangerous. It looks very dangerous, but they're like, it, it's just not venomous or anything like that. And I, but I, and I think we get scared because Australia has got most of the venomous spiders and snakes. So we, we instantly have this fear that these, these things are going to kill us. Um, so, yeah. You know, spiders don't scare me, and they're the worst ones. <laughs> spiders, and they're not even going to do anything. They're just, oh, I feel bad for them that they look the way they do because, you know, but like they're just, oh. <laughs> a, bit, a bit gross. So, but that's, that's okay. They, I'm sure they don't have that. They don't understand us. They don't have feelings like that. So, um, well, so I hope, in essence, what I've gathered is. I don't, I said to Jasmine, I don't want to do bungee jumping, skydiving or horse riding. So basically I want to do all those three because it would Why just be. Why not horse riding? I got thrown off when I was 13 and just a bit of, bit of fear around that. So um, we'll, we'll see what we'll see what happens. Um, I think it's just, I'm excited for the trip in general. So yeah, and, and I'll, I'll finish by saying on that before I ask my final question, um, Congrats, I think you've raised over $20,000. Is that correct? I've raised about 15. With, with your team? Yeah, about 15. 15. So that's an amazing effort. So I wanted to say congratulations. Um, and if anyone does want to donate after hearing your story, then I will share the links for that. Um, my last question is, what is your advice for anyone that might be struggling out there listening to this story who may have been through abusive relationships or um, any type of grief, really. That your feelings are valid. Never let anybody tell you that the way that you feel isn't valid just because maybe they don't understand. Um, Whatever you feel in that moment is true and um, you're allowed to feel that way. Um, And I know you said one thing, but the other thing is that, and I know this is what everybody says, but you really are not on your own. There is somebody out there um, that will listen and they will give you compassion and love and they will believe in you, even if you don't believe in yourself. Thank you for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure and I can't wait for the trip. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Power, Strength and Vulnerability, the mental health podcast. If anything in this podcast has brought up difficult feelings, please call Lifeline on 13 1144. For any further information or if you want to bring your story to life, contact Shane at shane at vitalityfit.com.au. That's V-I-T-A-L-I-T-Y-F-I-T-T dot com dot A-U.